What's going on, Asymmetry? Holla at you folks. Hope everybody's doing well. Had an interesting opportunity to sit down with a very talented individual, Mr. Keegan Uhl, who is a filmmaker from Los Angeles, also has a leather goods company, and is a dedicated bonsai practitioner who uh, asked if he could sit down and interview me. And that's, uh, that's not something that I typically have the opportunity to do. But while he and I were in Fresno working on the Clark Collection, um, we had an opportunity to enjoy the air conditioning unit in the hotel room as we wrapped and Keegan had some questions for me um, that were really, it was really enjoyable conversation and fun just to, um, to get to answer, uh, questions and, and, um, really sort of focus on some of those pieces that he wanted to know. And, and maybe some of you guys might want to ask as well. Anyways, hope you enjoy it. The audio quality is what it is. We did our best. Uh, Keegan's very talented in this realm, but the hotel room offered a lot of limitations. So I do apologize, but I hope you enjoy. And if you want to check out Keegan's work, he is truly talented. M is a mom, Keegan, K-E-E-G-A-N-U-H-L.com. M. Keegan, you filmmaker. And if you want to check out Keegan's leather goods, uh, onestarleathergoods.com. They're pretty sweet, and his films are super incredible. You might want to check that out. Anyways, sit back and enjoy. Uh, I talk a lot, as I usually do, um, but this time somebody's asking me the questions. So, all right, thanks. Anyway, so I took some notes. I was interested in interviewing you mm -hmm. because uh, I, I've, I've heard you talk a lot, mm -hmm. and as a Mariah Live member... I feel like you're my teacher, and I've only just met you yesterday. Right. But for years, I've I know a lot about you. I know <laughs> right. your mannerisms. I know right. your methods. And uh, Mariah has been just like a game changer for me. And so, cool. listening to the podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought it'd be fun to interview you with some questions that I've had. Yeah. Um, what a, what an opportunity! I don't often get interviewed. Do you don't. get requests that you turn down, or just no, no. I don't know if I talk too much or, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I've already said, maybe people think I've said it all. I don't think maybe. I have, but no, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you have either. Yeah. So I also thought it was interesting because I'm an outsider. I've mm -hmm. never been to Mirai. I hadn't met you before yesterday. Right. All I know is what I see on the stream. Okay. And so I think I offer the perspective of a lot of people around the world tuning into Mirai. Mm. And if you had questions for me. As like, what does that feel like? What does that look like as someone who's never been to visit, never met you, um, you know, before 12 yeah. hours ago? Yeah. Um, huh. You're ca I mean, you're going to catch me off guard here a little bit, but I'll, yeah, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, and feel free to refuse if, if anything gets to, uh, oh, yeah. whatever. Yeah. It's not really my style, but okay. Okay, I cool. Appreciate, I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I first saw you on Mariah Live, I, I, like, you're off the cuff, you're informal perhaps sometimes crassness I was like yes I understand this guy and in a bonsai world filled with people that are maybe a little more buttoned up uh -huh. it was refreshing and yeah you know and so I felt an immediate sort of like kinship with what you were doing man I always have really struggled with the stuffy nature of because it's not how people interact doing bonsai when they're doing it, right? It's like when we get into this public space where everybody's seeing you do it, all of a sudden everybody, like, you know, their butt cheeks tighten up together or yeah. something. And it's like, wait, what? why are we... Why can't we be more relaxed? Why are we like doing we that? Yeah, like, this is supposed to be enjoyable. And 
uh, I think it's been pretty refreshing to like build in that freedom to Mirai so yeah. that it is a little bit more approachable because it's also it's also a little intimidating to try and get into bonsai when everybody's super like shirt collar mm-hmm. neckties really nice and cinched down there you know it's like um, so I, I feel good that my crassness yeah no felt I welcoming mean, it's I it feels very welcoming I mean I try not to fart in Belgian stuff you know but yeah, like well, you know, I try to keep it real that, so like we're yeah. it's all good yeah <clears throat> but the other thing I, it's interesting is one of the hardest things for me starting in bonsai was knowing what to do mm-hmm. like with especially with the trees and from both perspectives from the horticulture perspective and from the design standpoint and the fact that you were just like here this is what you do you got a pine this is what you do got a juniper this is what you mm-hmm. do. this is how you analyze design you start at the base like just what we did today right um and it was so scary and anxiety provoking to really want a tree and be terrified to go get one because you think you don't know how to water it you don't know how to fertilize it yeah I never knew that you couldn't just trim a juniper, you know, you couldn't pinch a juniper, you couldn't, all these things. Sure. And so it was, it, it, it was a barrier to entry uh-huh. for me. And I think for a lot of people, it's just anxiety provoking. Oh yeah. And so the fact that for a nominal fee, I would even say you're giving away the knowledge. Yeah. It's just incredible to be able to like, you're setting a foundation of technique that someone, anyone, a stranger by themselves could go collect something out of their yard, mm-hmm. could go find something in a nursery and end up with a phenomenal tree. By them, like uh, by themselves, and like thanks to the internet too. Um, yeah, but I, that is just like it's a leveling of the playing field. Well, and I think like, I mean, I think the beautiful thing about Mirai Live and the knowledge like that I've tried to cr- create and like quantify at Mirai is, I mean, I come from the same place that everybody else who's approaching bonsai comes from. You know, like before I went to Japan and apprentice with Mr. Kimura, I was I was just a twelve year old kid that was like, This is awesome and I was faced with the same daunting reality as everybody else is. Like, how do I do this? How do I learn how to do this? You know? And it was it was really hard to to gain knowledge and information. I mean, I read every book, I read every issue of Bonsai Today. I I mean, like, there wasn't a rock that was left unturned, and I still was no better or more, any more knowledgeable or comfortable about bonsai. And, um, and you know, after spending so much time trying to find information in high school and then coming to California and in college and going to the Golden State conventions and, you know, studying with a lot of really prominent people in California, I mean, they gave me a significant direction, but I really recognized I wanted to know bonsai on, like, I wanted to know bonsai on that same level as the body knows breathing. On a microscopic, uh, like, it's in your bones, it's in your blood. I wanted, yeah. I wanted bonsai to become second nature. Yeah. yeah. And that's that, the only way to make that happen. Because honestly, a, a, a single individual under their own willpower probably doesn't, I mean, unless it's some really rare circumstance, probably doesn't have the discipline or could ever carve out the time if they were doing something else in life to be that dedicated and be able to experience all of the things that you would need to make bonsai a part of your sort of being and nature. And just to get good at anything requires that, you know, as a Malcolm Gladwell, it's a 10,000 hour thing. That's five years of practice. Right. And, and just to get good at anything, you just need to do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. Yeah. But I think there's something about like, also doing it out of your 
out of your familiar environment, out of your comfort zone and under pressure mm. was really yeah. valuable um, to doing that. So, I mean, in, in, anyways, uh, the reason that Mariah's knowledge is the way it is is because I knew what I didn't have. I knew what I went to get in going and getting that. Like education and knowledge is such a it's such a worthwhile commodity to obtain and develop and share. Mm-hmm. And I do think that we give the knowledge away for far less than it's worth, but I don't want the price of people having access to the information to be the deterrent. So we've tried as hard as we can. And you're trying to grow it. You're not trying to, to li- limit the amount totally. of people who get the knowledge. It's not about exclusivity. I mean, some people would say, some people would say it's still expensive and I can really respect that. Like, you know, the, it, 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 it still does cost money to be able to learn from Mariah. But the, the thing about it is, is to be able to produce that and to be able to keep an operation afloat doing what we're doing it, there's just a bare bones sort of nuts and bolts aspect to it. And, and I feel, I feel like we've made it as accessible as we possibly can without totally sinking the ship. No. And I think the amount of knowledge, not only the knowledge, but the accessibility, like if, if you remember, you can, I can send you pictures of my tree to this like expert, you know, at the highest level and he'll give me a critique. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And then, and the live Q and A is like just, and and then these, the podcast, it's like the whole body is well, well, well worth the price. I appreciate that. Um, I mean, thank you. We tried. People will agree with that. Yeah. Sure. We've tried. I mean, and I'm really flattered with, with the community and how much, um, so talk about a little bit, how, how has it grown? When do, like, how, where did it start? Like how many subscribers do you have or, or, or what's your reach right now? Cause yeah. It, Cause we don't know that watching. We, like it could be us and sure. two other people. We don't know. Sure. No, I mean, I think, I think that Mariah live has, I think we're probably in, I forget what the last count was six or eight months ago. We were in 42 countries. Wow. So it's continued to expand. Um, the actual membership, I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't, um, I don't really spend a lot of time looking at that. It doesn't change what I, what ambitions I have with the platform and stuff. Like I, I have, I have people whose, you know, job and responsibility is to manage and monitor all that stuff. For me, I really, um, have a sound team so that I don't have to worry about that stuff and I can really focus on what I want to do. But I think, it's like I was telling you, I mean, for any live stream, there's anywhere between four and 700 people watching live. Yeah. You know, there's a certain small subset of the live viewers that tune into the chat, but that's not the total um, metric. That's just the people you see engaging in the chat. But it, And we've had upwards of uh, 11 or 1,200 people watching live before. Like, that's not... And see, so what's, what's amazing to me about that is this is the internet. Mm-hmm. Like bursting down walls because when I'd asked you this in the car, like when have you ever seen a demo in front of 1200 people? Yeah. You know, and yeah. you said maybe never. I, I mean, I, I thought about that and I was thinking like Mr. Kimura's demo to open the world bonsai convention in Saitama, Japan was maybe had that, but maybe not. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen that kind of number of people engaging in a single bonsai event. Yeah. And this is the power of, what I, you know, the bonsai community is, is geographically disparate. It's not like we're all in one place where we can get 1,200 people together. Sure. 
to watch it. And so the, and the internet is able to bring the people together. And it's cool because in the chat now, you can chat with other people and you kind of get to know yeah. Peter or Dave or Gary or whatever. Sure. And and, and One of like 10 Garys. Yeah, yeah, yeah all the Garys. <laughs> There's a lot of Garys. The brothers Gary. Yeah. And so it's creating a larger sense of community too. Down the road, maybe I'll meet those Garys. I'll be like, hey, I'm Keegan. Now, there's only one Keegan, so that's easy, but... You know what I mean? It's like it's that the internet has really expanded the 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 um, the opportunity, and and you are taking advantage of it in such a huge way, in order to spread the knowledge. And like you say, as one of your goals, to raise the quality of American bonsai across the board. Just bump it. Let's yeah, go. yeah. And I think it's even become like to to raise the level of bonsai from an artistic perspective anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. Because like we've done Mariah live meet and greets. Um, we did. We've done them in. Portland, when the uh, the rendezvous, like the whole Pacific Northwest, gathered for the uh, the BSOP Bonsai Society of Portland rendezvous, um, we did a meet and greet there and had like a phenomenal turnout. But we did a meet and greet in Europe when we were at the Trophy in you Belgium. That? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming how many people came just to you know say thanks and chat and we got to say thank you because I was there with Troy and. Um, and so the both of us got to really express our gratitude. It was pretty. It was pretty awesome. Like the community is amazing. I didn't know it was going to be like this. Like I didn't realize that that was going to be such a. Like I always hoped. You always dream like you're going to have this core group of people that are that share the same ambition and passion, and you can kind of feed off of each other. But I didn't realize it was going to have this kind of momentum, and like reach. And reach and and also I think just like um, capacity to unify on a common ground, yeah. you know, because I I might not have uh, ever met Keegan, you know, had well, you had, hadn't for yesterday, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is really cool. I mean, you like do phenomenal leather work and you're a filmmaker and I'm I mean each, you know, each person that I meet has all of their own life, just like, you know, me. This is just the intersection. It's just, and, and again, it's like bonsai, bonsai for me is such like a doorway because it's like you open the door and you look through it and it's the way that I've been introduced to architecture and to furniture making and to film and photography and to fashion and, uh, you know, all of those things uh, are, are, are all just sort of peering through the doorway of bonsai as my entrance into the, the thought process of form and function and design. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, now, now I'm more exposed to leatherworking I <laughs> right. and, and I think it's beautiful yeah. and it's, that's really been super, um, that's like maybe the richest part of this whole thing Yeah, is, is well, that the people inter- Yeah. And I think I knew from the beginning, like the people, the people were, always going to be the richest part of it because when you look at a bonsai tree for me I've always looked at a bonsai tree and seen a human personality when it's well executed Mm -hmm. and I know when I've done a really good job of maximizing the tree's character when I can see a human figure and what I've created Um, that's what appealed to me about Mr. Kramer's work it's what I use as a gauge for my own work but also like in the model of critiquing people's trees as a professional where you're supposed to tell them you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you see how damaging it can be to not be very considerate about speaking about somebody else's tree. And you realize beyond the human character or figure or form or representation in that tree, there's the spirit of the person that created it. And it still does come down to 
just like that passion and that interest and that love for that tree that's driving that pursuit. And that is really special. That's the unifying sort of intangible component of bonsai that still makes it about the person when you start to connect via this art form. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, I want to ask two questions. What was the very first um, the thing, first thing you remember about being interested in bonsai? When was the, the first moment you can remember? I'll share mine. Um, I mean, well, why don't you share yours? Seventh grade. Uh-huh. Botany, they showed this video. And at the tail end of the video, there was a hemlock. And it was the first bonsai I'd ever seen. And I swear there could be an eagle sitting on top of the tree. <laughs> and it was 24 inches high. Cool. And I just remember being like, I got to figure out what that is. Yeah. And did you, so do you have a memory like that? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple memories. I mean, I remember, um, in the Karate Kid part three, um, there's like a bald and burlapped spruce or pine or juniper that, you know, Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid part three is setting up a bonsai studio and like Ralph Macchio's like got the hots for this, the super cute ceramicist. And he's like <laughs> trying to get her to make pottery for Mr. Miyagi. Right. And uh, like up to that point is all about the martial arts in terms of karate kid. But like, I remember like a bald and burlapped tree sitting on Mr. Miyagi's like workstation in his new studio. And then Ralph Macchio comes back and it's like all styled out. And I was like, Oh, is that how that happens? Mm. Like, is that, I wasn't like, I, it's like interesting, but I was like, is that how bonsai is made was a major like moment uh, or a breakthrough that moved from like the martial arts to like questioning the art of bonsai. I wasn't like, I'm going to go pursue bonsai now. I was just like, Oh, is that what happens? Like you start out with that and then you do all this work and it turns into that. Oh, it is just like made sense. Cause it was such a mystery is like, how do these trees occur? Right. And then, um, I went to the local, um, fair strawberry days in Glen Oak Springs, Colorado it happened last weekend. Uh, and there's a vendor who had been there for several years each year. He would come, he would sell his bonsai. I had never, my mom told me about it. I didn't care. I went, I saw the trees, but the thing that left a lasting impression is, uh, regular people were buying the trees because I had the misunderstanding that you had to be, I don't know what I thought, like a practicing monk, a martial arts teacher <laughs> or, or like some like meditating, you know, like I just didn't think it was accessible. It had this mystical vision. It of had a mystical, yeah, it had a, a, an air of secrecy and in lack of accessibility. Um, and so that was when I went to, I remember like I rode my bike from that booth, I'm like looking at it, people are buying it. I'm like, oh my gosh. I got on my bicycle and I rode to the library and I checked out like 12 books. Like my backpack probably weighed 60 or 70 pounds. Uh, and that was, that was really the beginning for me. But the story that I've never told is that, so I always wanted to be a collegiate basketball player. Like I, I, although I did bonsai a lot and I was like super passionate and I wanted to go study in Japan, like my first passion from like 12 through 17 was basketball. And, um, I blew out my leg. I tore my quadricep muscle in half twice, Oof. um, in the summer before my senior season. 
And it, it pretty much, like, wiped out basketball as an option, you know, because, like, I really couldn't athletically perform anymore. And that was when I was sitting, like, icing my leg, like, watching TV, feeling really sad for myself. <laughs> and this, like, infomercial about Japan, you know, had, like, taiko drummers and a geisha and, and like, waterfalls and whales breaching. Every and, stereotypical Japanese thing ever. Yeah, Japanese <laughs> maple leaves and water. And then there's a bonsai, just, like, poof, picture of a bonsai. And then Japan. You know, and it was like a trout tourism. And and for honestly, for me, that was like the moment where I was like... That's the scene in your movie. If I, if I shoot your movie, <laughs> that's the catalyst <laughs> that's right the there. One. That's it. I mean, that was when I was like, oh, I don't need basketball anymore. Like, I've got bonsai. Like, bonsai, I was like really passionate. I'm going to study with Mr. Kramer and all this stuff. But it didn't become a tangible pursuit until all other options were off the table. And that was kind of that moment. And then from that point forward, it was just like, basketball is no longer, bonsai is now. So how old were you at that point? Mm, I was 17. And did you feel a need at 17 to have a sense of direction in life? No. So what do no, you think? No, I mean, because when I was 12, I was like, I'm going to study with Mr. Kramer. And I was, I was serious about that. But I had other things that were kind of in the way. So I was like doing bonsai all the time, but I was waking up and shooting 1500 jump shots a day, you know, like I was doing two hours of plyometrics and then going and bussing tables at night to be able to, yeah, like it was just bonsai was always something that was there that I was like kind of working on, but I had other stuff. And like when I blew out my leg, I no longer had other stuff. And it was like, okay, like everything, every ounce of my energy started to move in that direction. And that just became what I did. And there wasn't a need for purpose. I just, I had already found what I was going to do. So one of the things that I observe is many people at the top of their game in whatever their field is have a certain obsessiveness or um, a laser focus. They're, they're mm. not a person who's like a jack of all trades. They're like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Right. And so do you consider yourself someone who's obsessed or obsessive? or And I, and I don't mean that to have a negative connotation. Yeah. But I also know that a lot of people at the top of their game, like we have, I, I end up feeling grateful for those people because I know you can't have that level of obsession and laser focus without sacrificing other things mm. in your life, whether that's your basketball aspirations or, you know, whatever it is. Steve Jobs, his family life was not what he maybe <laughs> what you would hold up as the, you know, right. the example. And, and he wasn't maybe the nicest guy. But he gave us the Apple iPhone, which yeah. changed the face of the, of the world. And so I always feel grateful as well to the people who are like, this is, this is the thing. Mm -hmm. And everything else gets pushed out in service of this thing. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, I am obsessed, obviously. Uh, I'm obsessed. And I've always had like that. That laser focus for me has always just been a part of my character since I was like really, really young. Like that's always been a part of who Ryan Neal is. Um, and I don't know where I got it. It just, I, I haven't known anything but that, but <clears throat> I think like I also watched Mr. Kimura have maybe a less than amazing dynamic with his family. And like you see everything that he accomplished or you can talk about Steve Jobs or you can look at, you know, the quality of Frank Lloyd Wright's life or just anybody who's really pulsing at that frequency where they're they're changing the game with something. 
And, you know, it's a big question that I have, like, how far can you push something that you are obsessed with and passionate about um, without completely uh, ignoring or failing to be present for those pieces in your life that still have a priority? And for me, obviously, it's my five-year-old son. You know, like, being a dad is a privilege and it's an opportunity and, um, and that's been a really interesting balance and a really interesting thing to consider. Um, and I'm really happy and thankful that I've gotten to do what I can have had the opportunity to do while still having the opportunity to also get to be a a dad in a big way, you know? Um, but I think that's also something that everybody has to like wrestle with. And I don't know that to have a big impact on bonsai, uh, that, that, um, you know, not everybody has to deny all of the other things in their life and be a, a a poor father or family man or abysmal human being to have success. Or at least I tell myself that because I'm not going to sacrifice that aspect of my life. Bones, I would, would be the sacrificial part of that if that's what it came down to. But, but I, I, I wonder about, about that a lot, obviously. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I, I feel privileged to now have been in your presence while you're teaching, not in just your virtual presence, but you're a very effective teacher. Um, you're very clear. You can read the, you can read your students well and know, like I watched you a couple times, just sense that people weren't quite getting it and slowing it down. Uh, and I just think you're a very effective teacher. And so I'm wondering when you're teaching, what do you have as an objective and how do you blend being a teacher and being an artist, because I know they're different fulfillment types from mm-hmm. each. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, thank you for, uh, those kind of words. Like I try really hard to, my goal is for people's time to be well spent with me, honestly. And I think like every single person comes with a different hope or aspiration or potential thing that they can improve on. I think it's my job as a teacher because I do know a lot about bonsai and do have a lot of insight into sort of when you work with somebody, you can kind of immediately see where they're at and where you can potentially help them elevate their level. You know, whether it's a simple, technical, tangible thing they can take or whether it's an overarching concept they can use to tie and unify a lot of information together that will help them have that light bulb moment. And so what, what I am, when I'm looking at students, everybody learns a different way, whether it's seeing, hearing, doing, um, you know, or reading. And obviously I'm not writing while I'm here, but I typically write as well so that I attack each component of the learning styles that I can possibly deliver to my students. Um, and I'm looking for that, moment with each student because they can't take away everything that I say, but they'll take away at least one thing. I'm looking for that one moment with every student where they have something that helps them break through. And I think like as I'm working through information, you can see if the information you're feeding a group is hitting every mark of the level of practitioner that you're working with because some people are advanced and you can't shortchange the advanced people that you're working with to cater to the to the the you know people that are just beginning 
but you can't speak over the people that are just beginning heads constantly. So you've got to sort of oscillate that frequency of that knowledge to be able to get everybody to have those light bulb moments that improves their bonsai approach. And I think like the big thing I've learned over the past 10 years of teaching is that it's not about teaching everybody everything all at once. It's about introducing people to the success of picking up a new diamond of knowledge and having that improve their bonsai a little bit more. Because bonsai is such a complex art form. You've got the art, you've got the science and physiology. You can't understand the complexity and the dimensions of the axes that are functioning with knowledge. You just got to fill up your little bag you, you with get, golden you, nuggets. And you just got to continue. Yeah. And, and honestly, every once in a while, you have to pull out, pour all those nuggets <laughs> on the table you got to brush a few of them aside. You realize they aren't the color of gold that you thought. And you have to piece some of them together because they have enough similarity. They start to create a bigger chunk of gold. And you have to constantly wrestle with the art of bonsai. It's not an easy journey. I've stopped trying to make it easy. I'm just putting... I, my, my goal is to put all the pieces on the table and let people wrestle with them as much as they're willing to. And what, what's fun and invigorating about it is... It, it, what I try, one of the things that I have sort of as a mantra of my life is make the journey the destination. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, a bonsai is never finished. Nope. And it has to be that you, if you're not getting fulfillment or joy out of the journey, then you're doing it wrong. Because that's, because that's what it's, it's about. It's about the journey. Yeah. It's about the process of learning. And it, learning never stops. Every tree shows you something new. And um, it's really, it speaks to that, that journey. But also my uh, my question is, so you do a good job of reading people in person, and it's funny, on the live stream, I often see you looking at your team, you know, we used to say, hey, Kendall, did you get that? Yeah. Like, what, was this clear, guys? Stop me if this isn't clear, because you're looking for that feedback yeah. to know if you're out in left field or if you're connected. Sure. And so is it more difficult doing it on the internet? I think so, because, <laughs> like, when I do it on the internet, obviously, like, I'm, I'm, I'm working, and... I, I have a very easy time getting into flow state when I do work on bonsai. So like sometimes I'll be working and I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, like I'm just working and I'm just talking and like I, I like I know the logic is there, but like I'm so entrenched in the action of bonsai, which is why I do it, because it's very easy for me to get lost. It's very zen. It's very therapeutic almost. Yeah. It's a, it, it is a moving meditation. Like you hear people talk about rock climbing as a moving meditation and like you're, you're climbing this rock. Well, like when you do bonsai, you wire this bottom branch and then you wire this next branch and this next branch, and this next branch. And in a large way, you're kind of climbing the tree in the way that you're organizing and bringing shape and life and character to the tree. And I get really lost in that process. So that's where when I see and also my mind works like a spider fracture on a windshield. So like there is an idea that makes that initial crack. And then all of the different ways that you can view that, whether you're talking about the physiology, the horticulture, the technique, or the artistic considerations, and all of those have smaller fractures. And I can fracture and fracture and fracture until I've lost everybody that's listening to me. You can't see out the windshield anymore. Yeah, exa <laughs> exactly. So that's usually when I, when I recognize, like when I come back to, 
uh, awareness and I'm like, Oh, what just happened? You know? And then I'm like, and I recognize I'm so far away from point A in where my conversation is when I zoom out of it. That's when I ask, like, did that make sense to anybody? You're usually, what just right. happened? Right. But also you're usually not as far away as you think. No, no, because it's still related. Right. And I, and I've gotten better at not going so far afield. Like I work, I watch a lot of the videos that we make, like I work, I try to work very hard on like being a better presenter, being a better teacher, interacting with the camera. Well, and that's another skill set. It's a whole other skill set. Yeah. Just like at being a filmmaker, working with actors, that's a skill set. How sure. do you be on camera in front of sure. people? And I, I mean, I, I told you that before too. It's, you're getting up in front of a lot of people every night and that's stressful and that's, you know, you're, you're put under a microscope in some ways. Yeah. You can go watch your performance again and again and nitpick sure. it to, to death if they want to. Yeah. And so, you know, it's also really brave to be up there all the time. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I guess, like, uh, I, I look at it as a pretty privileged position. Like, I've kind of put myself up there, you know, like, uh, and people listen. And I, I think, uh, I but guess But you've I, got the stuff to back it up. That's I, the thing. I think... You're I not blowing hot air, you know? I, th- I try to. Uh, and I think, you know, the biggest thing also about Mariah Live and Mariah in general is recognizing that, like, it's okay if I don't know. And it's okay if it doesn't work. Like, the whole purpose of never writing a book and putting it in ink is you can't update that information. And that scared me to death because I got a lot of faulty information in my bonsai career that that author maybe could have corrected later. And the whole beauty of the live stream is I can do that in real time. Well, with the, look, look at the pitch pine. Oh, for sure. Right. This has always been a multi-flush <clears throat> and I don't actually think that it is that anymore. And it's that easy to fix it. And that's what was so like if, if people haven't watched the Monterey Pine stream, go watch it. That just blew me away because you're literally trying something and you don't know the answer. Don't and, know. and we're on this journey of discovery yep. at the cutting edge, you know, the tip of the surfing yep. wave leading into American Bonsai with native material. And you're just like, here we go. We're going to explore it together. Let's do this. Let's you on crazy. Crazy. Let's, yeah. Like, you know, it's Let's jam. Really, it's really crazy. I mean, like the soil science research we're doing with Ian Hunter right now is going to is gonna I never thought that the next significant sort of lift off and rapid increase of quality or advancement in bonsai would come in the form of evolving the root system but I think like the roots can be handled as generally as like give them good water and good oxygen and some nutrition and that's great that's the broadest approach I think that Ian is going to take us into a realm where we can literally control the shape of the roots, the ramification, the refinement to the same degree we control the canopy of the tree. And once we start to do that, we have no idea what that looks like aesthetically in the upper portion. I've never thought about that before, but that's really where I see the next frontier heading right now for what we're working on. And, and, that's, and the interesting thing there is that's modern scientific um, abilities yep. that when bonsai started, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there just wasn't that. It was all uh, experiential feedback and then adjusting your practice based on what the tree gives you. It's true. And so it's, it's, it's like a whole new whole realm, new realm. Of possibility. Whole new realm, man. I mean, really, really interesting stuff coming, coming down the pipeline. And, and it's fun. That is what makes me so passionate about it. I never got into bonsai to copy Mr. Kimura. I never got into bonsai to 
involve myself with Japanese culture. Not that it's not beautiful and not that Mr. Kimura's work isn't amazing. It is. But I, got, I really got into bonsai because I was passionate about the landscapes that I knew and was familiar with. And I was passionate about reflecting those in miniature, you know, and that that ultimately that's a wide open palette for a big unexplored area and aspect of an art form. And I think that's also what feels great about the kinship of people who just love trees. Mm -hmm. Like I, I go backpacking in the Eastern Sierra, multi-day trips with my wife, with my kid, with friends. And I'm the guy that people have to be like, stop stopping in the middle of the trail to right. ogle this tree. Like, why did you just throw your pack down and run up the slope to like, go stand with the incense cedars, get right. back down here, we have to make dinner, you know? Yes. And so to meet other people who are just like, look at this tree, would you <laughs> right. just, are you kidding me? With <laughs> like, and trying to imagine what the thousands of years have been like on that ridge to create this and- What that tree's seen what, and endured. And like and... watching, there's a short film that is a, it's, it's a fantasy, claymation piece featuring some stone people and the world goes by them super fast because they're stones and they move really slowly yeah. and it's just like burr, 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 like cities coming up going down people running by and that's the way I feel about the trees they just see the yeah. world happening there's a slow motion video uh, or an explanation on one of these David Attenborough videos about how a fly actually sees in slow motion so it can navigate so fast you try to hit a fly it gets out of the way but trees are kind of the opposite they see sort of in fast motion they've seen everything they see, they've uh, seen hundreds of years go by yeah, that's really fascinating stuff, isn't it? Yeah, and so th that, like, expressing the feeling you get when you go up on that ridge and you see that tree, and maybe as you're snowshoeing and it's encrusted in ice and, and it's just the sun comes out and it's just starting to melt, or, or, you, just, or you get to stand with it and have a, a real moment of, like, feeling what it's like to be part of nature, can you put that in your backyard? That's what it, you know what I mean? Like, can you put that in a pot? And, and create that feeling. So when someone else comes over to your garden or wherever and they see that, they have that experience. Maybe they mm -hmm. aren't able to get up to that mountaintop. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they can have that connection. Like that, That's what I see in so many bonsai people that's, that's sort of universal is they want to give you that experience of the reverence for what yeah. they felt. Yeah, that's interesting. I've, ne I've never... Um, hmm. I can see that being an attempt and I can see that being a motivation... I think like each piece in each composition that's created, like if it's really created with objectivity and in dialogue with the material offers different opportunities. Some material is meant to be a traditional form, right? It's what it's been grown for. That's what it gives you the proportions to achieve. And some material can be uh, something that can actually tell, transport somebody to a, a different space, right? And I think it comes in the way it's presented, and I think it comes in the way it's executed. But I think, too, like, there's just a lot of ways with bonsai to really tap into concepts of artistic principles in terms of perspective and proportion and um, the value of line and the manipulation of our interpretation of depth and um, space and and the quality of form and texture and just I'm, like sculpture, just like painting. Absolutely, just like I mean, yeah. I, I think this is where the ceramic vessel is so undervalued and underutilized because we've tried to abide by the same constructs as you know was limiting to the shape of bonsai originally, and now that we've sort of at least pushed the walls of that box out and you know gained some elbow room there, the ceramic vessel is kind of like or the vessel that a tree exists in is that next like space that's that people try to continue to kind of hold tight and control and understand. And it's like, well, but what about 
the texture being more valuable than the shape or the color or, you know, the 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 color being more valuable than the size or, you know, how do you prioritize and what what ignites a response in somebody viewing this piece. And I think like the the notion of creating uh, a composition so that people look at it and say, "Uh uh-huh, yes, we know what that is. It's like so purposeless for me because I spent so much of my apprenticeship creating these things and came back and continued to create these things. And when I started creating things that felt a little bit more true to form, like the liberation of that was just too... um, enticing to continue to aspire to do that and only that. But again, I still find value in both. But it's interesting because I, I, I would I would I would dare to say that somebody practicing bonsai on a really deep level probably is toying with several different things in a singular composition that they are experimenting with when they push the envelope. And you get different people that are geared towards interpreting each of those different attempts. Um, maybe maybe they can interpret one of those attempts, but but with ten people that are able to see the ten different things you were working on, you get that payback of that attempt. You know, and that's really special to me. The the, the tree that takes my breath away every time, and I've never even seen it in person, is the pygmy mm. forest planted on the rock. Yeah. Because it just it puts you on those coastal yeah. bluffs. It just literally translates, and you're there. Yeah. And and so it's it's that kind of thing that I think is 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 universal. Anyone who sees that knows what that feels like. Maybe they don't know the exact location of the tree, but sure. they get a feeling. Yeah. And you're and you're inciting a feeling in that. The other thing I wanted to touch back on was the meditative aspect of bonsai. <clears throat> so I worked in the film. I'm, I'm a filmmaker writer-director now, but I also have done every job. I've been in the electric department, been an editor. And those jobs are really high stress because you come in, you do a job, you're under the gun, there's a deadline, and it's a different brain. It's probably like a lot of the tasks at Mirai that are the numbers and the business and the fixing the house and the this, all this sort of busy work that is, is a stress-inducing activity in your brain. Yeah. Whereas when you get in that flow state, like I, I told you earlier, when, you, when I have a hard day, like my wife and I sit outside, we have dinner, She'll debrief. She's a therapist, so she needs to sort of talk to me about her day. That's her way of sort of getting that off her shoulders. And I just pull out a tree and start working on it, you know? Right. And, and just an hour of just sitting with a tree and being like, it just everything else goes out. In the same way that when you go backpacking, if you're in the mountains for more than six hours walking, you, and you're, you just forget whatever you're worried about. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is now there's science to back this up, too. My wife's a therapist, and there's a, there's a, um, a therapy called EMDR. And it's... Uh, I don't remember what it stands for. It's, it's, it's eye motion, but it's basically connecting the right and left halves of your brain. And so it's very good for um, getting over trauma. And what they have is they have little vibrating um, buzzers that go in each hand that alternate, or it's a light that goes back and forth. But basically you're moving your, you're moving your, uh, your eyes back and forth and accessing these memories. And uh, there's a million studies to say that it works, but no one really knows why. Yes. But they also think that walking is the, the reason walking is so therapeutic is because it's laterally switching your brain mm. in the same way. And so it's fascinating. The, the, I think there's a real need for these type of meditative activities in our lives mm. to take out the stress of the anxiety and stress-inducing activities. And that's where I, I get a lot of meaning from bonsai and also yeah. the leather work. I started that business at a time when 
I wasn't working with my hands. I was constantly stressed out. And just sitting down and figuring out a design and figuring out how you're going to make it and hand sewing it, hand cutting it, it's this meditative practice yeah. that I found really increased the quality of my life and reduced my stress. And I feel hmm. like I feel like bonsai is like that for a, for a lot of people. Yeah, and it sounds so. like you, you described that flow state. And it, it seems like that's the, the yin and yang of your business, too, is like it's crazy. And then you get to be there, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think I think you nailed it. And I think like, <clears throat> you know, like there's many ways to quantify like success. Uh, money has never been the way that I would quantify it because I didn't choose a career that's going to be highly lucrative. But inside of like the the whatever monetary aspect of my career that I have, the one thing that has remained the same, and there's no quantification or scientific information to back it up, there's only the numbers that can be seen, and that is if I'm working on trees, Bonsai Mirai is thriving. And it, it's not because we sell those trees. It's not because anything happens as a result of it. It just is the fundamental backbone of what we do. And I'm able to do what I do better. I'm able to cope with the things and the challenges of making a business out of bonsai better, you know, yeah. and, and Colton, uh, you know, handles the numbers for Mirai and, uh, and we, we've documented it and we can, you know, point it out very clearly in the way that the business functions. If, if I have my hands on trees, bonsai Mirai is, is successful. Well, and it, it, so that comes to a concept I wanted to talk about too is being an artist um, is one of the concepts is just do the work. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the film industry, a lot of actors, a lot of filmmakers are like, how can I get to that that place? How can I get to here? How can I get there? There's a lot of external measures of success. Yeah. And I think the more you get into it, the more you realize that that just falls apart. It doesn't matter. You know, you win an Academy Award, great. You still have to do the next thing. Yeah. And there was a film producer I heard speak. He had done tons of big movies. And he said, I made a change. And the reason my life, I'm a happier person is because I just stopped, totally ignored all the external uh, measures of success, whether that's box office numbers, awards, whatever. Sure. And now success is defined. Did I have a good experience with these people making this movie? Hmm. And that's it. And that's about surrounding yourself with people. You know, there's, there's, there's just no space for... Like if you have a bad apple or someone yeah. who has a bad attitude on a film set, they just don't last long because you're 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 going to war with these sure. people. Sure. And but there's something about just doing the work. And and someone comes to like I live in L.A. and a lot of people come to L.A. wanting to to make it in quotes right. And then they don't and they leave. They go back home wherever home is. But the people that do make it are just doing the work. Mm-hmm. They're just doing. The work, whether that's acting, that means you got to act. If you're a filmmaker, you got to make films. Yeah. One's not enough. Like go back. Okay. Repeat your successful action. Yeah. You made a great tree. Got you. Got you some some pedigree, some new followers. Great. Go make another great tree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a. <clears throat> I think like. The when I look at really successful artists, um, obviously because like, <clears throat> I don't believe the act of doing bonsai is art. I believe. Uh, I believe there's got to be more to it. I think I think the art of I think bonsai, the art of bonsai, quote unquote, is actually a craft. Um, and I say that after having worked this out for a very long time in my head and feeling comfortable with where I stand. So when does it become art? I think it becomes an art when you present it, and I think it's the manner in which you present it and the context that you attempt to deliver. And and also I think it's a relinquishing of the control of that in the presentation to allow people to interpret it 
and think about all of the different things that you potentially intended to say or had never intended to say with the way that you've chosen to deliver it to them. I mean, art, in a lot of ways, you let go of control. And, and by putting forth the effort at the level that makes it an art, you create a dialogue and you relinquish control of people's interpretation. Um, but <clears throat> coming back to... Like one of the things about artists that are really uh, well, I think, regarded and respected in the intangibles of art that I at least have observed and could be incorrect, but I feel are, are pretty strong sort of justifications for why people's work is highly regarded beyond just the thought process behind it is the prolific nature of them working through the process and mastering the process. Prolific production of work is a must for it to become a portal to communicate the individual who's creating through that work, right? Just the same as language becomes embedded in us, the art has to flow through us with that kind of seamless transition and communication. And um, I think, too, the painstaking often never seen behind the scenes, just downright gritty, nitty desire to execute for no other reason than you are compelled to do so, to wade through the shit of making something come to life. And you don't even know why you care, but you see that pain and that ethos in the work of really prominent artists. And I think it's an intangible aspect of really high quality art the unexplainable desire and compulsion to do for a, for no better reason than because you feel like it. So this taps into that's your truth. If <clears throat> you if you make something that you're like I did everything in my power to make this true with a capital T mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. That's all I can do. That's it. And then it goes into the world and the world either eats it up and and chews it up about and spits it, it out yep. or they let, it doesn't matter. But yep. that's what I like. It's an internal thing with a capital T. You said prolific. There was a National Geographic article about genius and breaking down where, where how do you define genius? What's a genius? Da, da, da. And one of the things they talk about was prolificness. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Mm -hmm. Well, Thomas Edison had 4,000 other patents that yeah. didn't do shit. Yeah. And it was only to get to the light bulb Right? All that other stuff. Yeah. And that's why with the art, oh, you're selling that for $20? Yeah, you're buying that. And the 30 years it took me to learn how to make right. it. Right, exactly. Know? That kind of thing. Yep. Um, I had one other thing to say, I forget. But but it's it's the prolific, all oh, right, the, the, the truth. It's like all you can do is look inwards and do your absolute best. And with art, you just have to surrender to the world. And that's mm -hmm. why with you know if, if you base your success upon these external factors and what people think, it's it's folly. Yeah, uh, it's not just it's just not going to go well. Yeah, you know, because everybody's going to have something to say yeah. about it. Um, so, continuing on the artist tip for a second. Yeah, I often, as a filmmaker, and thinking about artists in general, as a photographer as well, what is our responsibility as an artist? And I would say. The other thing that you said in a podcast that I listened to it and I said that's exactly right about all art. What makes it art? You had—I don't remember who you were talking to, but you were talking about what 
elevates something to be art, right? Rauschenberg's black square on a canvas, yeah. like the, the toilet in the modern Museum of Modern Art, sure. it's just a toilet. But it is, and I agree with what you ended up coming to in that point, it's been considered from every angle, it's been thought about for countless hours, yeah. it's been ruminated on, and there's that factor to it too. Like, you can't just slap something together. Jackson Pollock wasn't really just slapping paint on the no. canvas. You know, and it's that that thing where like it it is the practice and the living it and the I have thought about this more than you can possibly imagine. That I think elevates it to a point where it's defensible because your mind has gone through all of these. You know, when you make a tree, you can answer any question of why did you put that branch there? Why totally. why didn't you do this? Why that ceramic body? Why this front? Yeah, um, because you've thought about it from everything. And if sure. you can't answer those questions, I would argue that you're not making art. I, yeah, I think I agree with that. And I think, um, again, it's like it's the prolific, it's the painstaking, which means you've vetted all of those options. And then I think the other aspect that I said is um, there has to be a di dialogue that's greater than I made something. You know, and I think that's really where, like, the deep thought that goes into or the motivation and the compulsion that causes you to go that extra step is a derivative of having something more to communicate in what you create than just I made something. That's that's a craft. So to, how, to how make you, something. So you're good at making bonsai trees. Yeah, sure. But what do you what dialogue do you want to engage with in people? Well, th this is this is what I'm saying though. This is where I think the dialogue cuz when you put a bonsai in front of somebody without any context, it's a bonsai to them whether they can connect with it or not. That's as far as the context goes. But if you create a presentation, if you actually serve that, I mean, it'd be like going into a painter's studio and seeing a Richter unframed on the ground of his studio versus hanging in, you know, the Museum of Modern Art. This is two different experiences that creates two different dialogues. And the one in the studio, you're going to say, wow, that's cool. The one in the Museum of Modern Art, you're going to say, fuck me. You know, like, that's ridiculous. That you've been primed for that and that really is there's a certain intentionality if you're I, there, designing the space around it not a certain intentionality there's every intentionality behind the presentation of that and for bonsai which is an art form that people don't even have the awareness when it's presented correctly as an art form that people don't even have the awareness there's a dialogue behind it you allow them to actually access that by influencing their experience. And now we've started to cross over into bonsai being an art form. And that's like, you know, after doing the Artisans Cup in 2015 and really architecturally representing the moments that you experience in, in the forest, that sort of gave context to this wide array of species from around the United States being displayed in an art museum. And then doing Unbridled at the Japanese Gardens where, I mean, I basically created structures that were meant to be controversial in a very traditionally formal Japanese space out of context entirely from Japan. Totally, I think, derivative of, of and, and like, <laughs> you know, almost humorously so, a Japanese garden in Portland, Oregon it still is surrounded by Doug Furs, not Cryptomeria and Hinoki, you know, and it's just like you can't escape that. Uh, giving context to that and then, you know, um, sort of continuing to discuss those dialogues with the pieces that we present and the way that we present them. So this is also a conversation that people in the film industry have. With the Netflix and the streaming platforms, people are going, they're not going to the theaters as much. Yeah. And people firmly believe that 
the film is best experienced on a huge screen with great sound, sitting next to other people who are going to be breathing in and having the same emotional yeah, reactions. Still as think you are. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not unlike that. It's like it's like you you present your art in the correct context, and and you I don't know. There's a, there's a weight that, and and like an intentionality, like you said, that that's for it. But and there's an experience that you want. But also have. coming back to like. What's your res- what do you do you feel any responsibility as a as a as a bonsai person? And now I guess we can talk a little bit about like as a leading bonsai professional in the United States and in the world, do you feel a responsibility? Or but as an artist, you know, I, I like to think as uh, when I'm writing a film, you have to delight people. You have to surprise people and you have to intrigue people. Like that that oak today, mm-hmm. that new front, I feel like the hollow is not just shown for you yeah it's teased and then it's inviting you to come around yeah. the side of the tree and it's that intrigue just like in a movie if you tell everyone just what's going on no people want to be involved they want to figure yeah. it out themselves and so as an artist is it our responsibility to, to ask questions and to challenge people's beliefs and to try to involve them or are we just saying this is what i felt here you go i mean i don't i because i think if you if you said that as an artist it's your responsibility then you'd have an artist who would just completely defecate on that idea as their art, you know, and like rage and push against that responsibility that you're placing on the notion of being an artist. And I, I mean, I don't know if I'm an artist. I just know that I have something that I want to communicate and say with, with this, you know, living medium that I work with. And if people want to hear it, cool. And if it has an impact, that's even better. What do you want to say? Uh, well, I think it depends on the exhibition, right? Like, uh, but I, I, I think there's like multiple messages inside of bonsai that I have found to be valuable. Number one is raising people's awareness of the natural world. And in particular, the, the plants that basically support us and life on earth. Amen to that. I mean, plant blindness is a real thing. Not like I'm like, I do bonsai to fix plant blindness, you know, like, uh, but can we make shirts? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I mean, but, but honestly, like it's, the biggest experience somebody has when they find bonsai for the first time is I'm noticing everything that I haven't noticed this yeah. far in my life. Trees in the landscape. Like, this trees is a big deal, right? Yeah. This is a really big deal. Um, and I think like in the tending to a bonsai, all of a sudden you have this micro perspective of the macro, greater macro concept that we coexist with the natural environment and we need to be stewards of that environment the same way this tree needs us we need to be responsible and, in, and to a large degree our behavior does have an impact on the and greater environment. you can even go so far as to say like it's difficult to provide the right water for this tree. It's difficult to provide the fertilizer. Well the earth has to do that. Sure. And if we take away the earth's resources to do that we're going to collapse the whole system as well. I mean either that or you know like we really need to just the same as this is a delicate system in this micro environment it's a delicate system in the macro. Like there's so many things that you could take from that but then I think too like Going beyond that, bonsai is such a hot button for appropriation and the discussion of culture and um, and the reflection of the individual and the product that that individual has experienced in the way that they filter all of these cultural and natural themes through them and then reproduce it in this very unique, very personal interpretation of this tree in a miniature form. So, I mean, you can take your pick on, like, what you want to choose as a theme to dialogue about, but it's a pretty ripe, unexplored 
uh, medium to actually that is very powerful and I think identifiable as a living medium for people to tap into and I think find a lot of meaning from and that's like that's that's really interesting to engage with that yeah for, I mean for me it, it, it's a combination of the natural world and the, and the science and a little bit of the the, the unique you know there's, there's the gear you need the tool you need to like I don't know it's a certain yeah. it's a certain nerdy work with your hands build a model airplane type stuff as well yeah. as the the natural stuff um, I had uh, I have one one other, uh, another question about your design knowledge. I really liked the video you did where you used your body to demonstrate the tree, and I keep uh, referencing that in my brain. Cool. That's such a clear. Where'd you get that idea? And did you learn about those design elements through bonsai, through books, through teaching, or through externally somewhere else in the art world? Yeah. Uh, so again, like when I was twelve and I saw Mr. Kramer's work in bonsai today. Um, like the transformation of this juniper out of the mountains looked like it had turned into an old man from a bush. And like from that point forward, like the human figure, a bonsai tree to me, when it's hit a really prime like point of design carries a human emotion with it and it, and, and the, like a human reflection. And so, and that's something innate. That's something deep, deep, it's deep. deep. That, that's very primal. Yeah. Right. This is very, to see like a soul and a, that's like you're on the planes and you recognize the other Neanderthal on the horizon yeah, exactly. as a human. Like, right. Yeah. It's the, yeah, I think it is very like primal. Um, but like, so the human body has always been the best way to discuss design for me. That's always been the way that I think about it. It's always been the way that I teach it. Uh, and, and so getting to share it in that way was interesting. But I mean, like the harmony tension dynamic, um, the degrees to which you can push asymmetry, asymmetry representing being a representative of age and, and age accumulating random acts of nature and all of those things. Like that's all been really learned stuff for me that I've had to develop and quantify to communicate my process of bonsai creation to my students and help them think about it in an intentional way. So, you know, Mr. Kramer never, never, uh, dialogued about that stuff. I don't, he didn't quantify that stuff. Um, and that's pulled from looking at European artists and Japanese artists and Chinese artists and American artists and different mediums that all of that sort of came to fruition walking through, you know, like I seek out ancient forests anywhere I go in the world. Okay, see, this is what happens when someone dives as deep as you dove. Uh -huh. And they think and they live and every night you're thinking about bonsai before you go to bed and everywhere you go you're thinking about bonsai. Yeah. You were able to do that. Yeah. This is the advantage of having people... <laughs> of obsession. That, of obsession yeah. and, of, and of laser focus yes. is because you go deeper because your mind is just constantly working. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. Can't stop. Like, it's not even an option. Like, uh... This place in particular, honestly, Fresno, California, has a massive... Just for anybody listening, we're currently sitting in a hotel room in, <laughs> in which I was working on a core coke in the bathroom because the light was better, yeah. and we're drinking cider, so... We're drinking cider. Fresno, California. We're in a hotel room in Fresno, California. You forgot to mention that. Uh, working at the Clark Collection. But um, this area is very interesting to me because you have, like... Um, such a uh, confluence of you've got a lot of Japanese American presence here. You obviously have a lot of Hispanic presence here. You have a lot of, I mean, whether it's the Hmong or it, whether it's the Assyrian or, you know, Indian cultures, uh, the Central Valley of California has like pulled this really wild 
conglomeration of people into it. And there's a lot of history and there's a lot of necessity and there's a lot of, I think, downtrodden, like unrealized potential. And, uh, and you kind of accumulate all of that while you're pursuing bonsai in this space. And it's an extremely interesting experience to work, um, on bonsai in the central Valley for me. And, and so like, even being here, like I'm thinking about things differently than I would be anywhere else. And I really like that, but yeah, it, it, the switch doesn't ever turn off, unfortunately. Well, and I'm, I'm sure that I've just listened to the podcast about your trip to Australia and your trip to the trophy and just being able to, you know, I, I sort of am in your camp. If I had to travel all the time, I'd burn out pretty quick, but yeah. being able to see other, other physical spaces and other cultures and be immersed in them while you're practicing, I'm sure just makes light bulbs go off everywhere. I heard you talking about them in, in the Australian podcast. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best. I mean, you get, you just are so much more, uh, you're so much more aware of the potential. And it, it, it takes your, I feel like when you stagnate and, and anybody, if you travel as a way of like making your mind more supple and more willing to accept things and and it just stretches it a little bit when you stay home i feel like sometimes you get rigid and that's why it's it's yeah, nice to find yourself in a strange spot it just sort of like gives you a little bit of of softness in your brain i would agree with that i mean i think it's i think it is super um i think the challenge that every human being has and like when i look at honestly like if i had to identify one of the most i think cutting edge professions from um a degree of true design proficiency i think the creative directors of the biggest fashion houses in the world are creative beyond the commonly accepted definition of creative because you're developing you know whether you're developing 14 lines of fashion a year you're creating the environment that that fashion is shown in you're creating the marketing and advertising or the vision for it for the way that it's presented to the world i mean this is phenomenal this is phenomenal and when you look at the the sort of the peak of fashion and the dictation of fashion i mean anna wintour as the editor of vogue is continuing to influence an industry that is at the very top pinnacle of in-demand creative work in the world. And her influence is so significant that, that what she says makes or breaks a fashion designer. How does she continue to stay super fresh in her interpretation of a creative medium and, and also very delicately carry a sword that could completely dismember somebody in their career? Like, that's really interesting to me when you think about the challenge of a creative person is that stagnation ultimately is inevitable and to stay that malleable. Well, and you were talking about having your moment. People talk about that in the film industry all the time. Sure. Like you, you work and you do the work Uh and the work speaks for itself and hopefully opens doors for you. Yeah. But you really can't, you might know somebody that might get you a step, but you're not going to actually go unless you have work that can speak for you. Yeah. And then it gets, there's a momentum and there's a place, and that's the place where you just got to seize it. And, and the filmmakers talk about it all the time. They're like, I knew this was it. Then I had to just go. And I made the five films, and then, then my moment sort of faded away, like you talked about. And it's a, it's a real thing, I think, for all artists. Yeah. And maybe for all just people in their career and, and everything. I mean, I, I feel that way yeah. as a father with, with the kid. I feel like my kid's three. Like, this is the time where I have to be a great dad. Yeah. 
and this is the most important thing in my life right now. Yeah. And that's going to fade at some point. But this is the moment. This yeah. is where I get to make my kid a great person. Yep. Or do my best to at least. Yep. When their brain is changing. Well, I know, I'm, but I mean, I think too, like you see people that you see truly great. Um, you see truly great and truly talented people that are above the rest. Right. Um, you see... Um, Richard Serra here is an artist who's been at the top of his game for 40 years you know I mean you see um, it's really hard to do that yeah but yeah. there are people that do it and that's where you where I guess like I really you seize that moment but it's like how do you continue to stay malleable enough to continue to interpret and reinterpret and represent and re-represent you have the to medium evolve. you have to evolve and it's like what does that look like and how does that happen and do you have the strength to continue to make and remake yourself consistently and constantly over the course of this journey and and I really think this is where you do see the line that defines people as those who value the destination versus those who value the journey. Because if the journey is what you value, then taking on a new journey is a privilege and an opportunity, not a burden to get to another destination. Mm -hmm. And I think when you see people who value the destination, it's like, well, I got there. I did my thing. Like, I'm I'm going to chill now. You know, like I, I had my moment and I'm done. And. I really hope, like, there is a lot of motivation in seeing, obviously, extremely, I think, elevated people in their chosen endeavors be able to perpetuate uh, a consistently renewed and fresh influence on the mediums that they work with. Like, that's inspiring to me. I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off, but that's obviously where I'm going to set my sights. I think a lot of times what gets in the way of that is ego. Because the second that you think you're right and you know everything, then you've stagnated. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. You know? And and to embrace the fact that we're always evolving, we're always learning. I think that's part of the... And that so, probably gets harder. That yeah. That probably gets harder as, we get as older, you get older. Yeah, I think so. Right? right? Yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm assuming I don't I have, no, have any... You're not old, neither am I. So, yeah. yeah we, we don't have any idea about yeah, that. Yeah, I have yet. no idea. Nope. Um, so, I just have a couple more questions. Um, what's the state of bonsai in America? Huh. Yeah, I, I I think that bonsai in North America... Yeah, we can go ahead and include Canada, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think that it is... Uh, I think it went through a major growth spurt. I think that it is still growing, but I think... You know, there were a lot of really, like, innovative things that happened kind of all at once. Like, boom, 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 boom. It was, you know, the national show was growing. The Artisans Cup happened. Um, the Nolanders Trophy in Europe was really catching fire again. Um, you had a lot of uh, a lot of really exciting things happen at once. I think there's a, a comfortable cadence to bonsai in North America now, but I think it's still growing as a result of all of that stuff and the continued efforts of, you know, the national show and... Um, and people just trying to push the envelope. Uh, 
Well, and I think it's people like Bill and with the national show, and Bill Valvanis and, and you, the Artisans Cup, and, and the things you have. Managed. These are like the, the mavens, and without those people to create those big events, to drive the interest, to drive the enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, like the Elon Musk being like, no, we're going to build this. Go, I, yeah. I'm going to like, do it. If you're not with me, then fine, but I'm going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Like, those are the people, and com I think... Com compelled. To. Yeah, and I think what... I, another podcast you also said, like, right now there's a lot of people just coming up in America that could be those next people. Yep. And it's going to be exciting to watch what yep. they do. They're being exposed to bonsai at this level, which is higher than anything, you know, that anybody who started bonsai was exposed to when they began. So their baseline is higher. But I, I think that, um, I think that there, I think that you can't just climb and climb and climb, right? There is always a ebb and flow. There's always a leveling off of plateaus. I think, I think, North America is is waiting for another uh, jolt of adrenaline, and I think it's probably, I think it's it's probably coming. You know, I don't know what it necessarily looks like, but I have no doubt that there's um, that there's the energy and inspiration for that stuff to happen. And well, and and in some ways, you have to live in the moment. You're, you're doing what you can right now. And, mm -hmm. you know, the first person who was riding a horse, they weren't riding a horse and thinking, soon I'll be riding a train and then we'll have airplanes. They just were like, we're riding the horse. Yeah, yeah but you know, like, you have a pulse, like, uh, being a professional, you have a pulse on things and you can sense it. You know, you can see things building. Um, there's a lot more professionals that are establishing their own facilities and creating great trees and the level is climbing. There's people that are interested and there was this big sort of kick and this momentum and, and sort of that momentum is continuing to perpetuate as things build again for yet another, I think, level to be achieved. And so you can feel the pulse. It's like it's there and there's something happening and there's a current and there's, there's interest and there's growth. But it definitely, those kinds of potential energies need the kinetic input to well, fire. And right? a lot of, like... Mariah Live is one of those incubators right now. And sure. maybe there'll be a spark plug ignition that ignites something. I'm sure. But, but you're incubating the next generation. Yeah. And we just don't know where they're going to pop up. Don't know. Don't know what it's going to yeah. look like. It's um, exciting. You know, and I think like another Artisan's Cup is probably, is probably, I mean, I, I, I like flirt with that idea a lot. I can't commit to that idea, but like, I. Sounds like it was a lot of work. It was a lot. <laughs> <clears throat> it was a lot of work. It was pretty painful. Um, you know, like you have to be willing to accept the repercussions of taking on a project of that scale. But if you say you're going to do it, you also have to deliver. And so like I roll that around, the, the idea is very solid. The the space is very solid. The, the collaborators are very solid. It's just a matter of, you know, sort of pressing the red button and, and, and when, it, when the time is right, Carving it, it, it'll happen to do it. Yeah. 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 Um, you talk about Mr. Kimura a lot. Obviously he's, would you still say he's the biggest influence on your, your bonsai practice? Um, or has it shifted now? Wow, wow. I haven't thought, I haven't been asked that question before. I mean, obviously, Mr. Kramura was a big part of my bonsai career. Um, is he still the biggest influence? I don't know how to answer that. I, I'm sure I reference a lot of my education and what he taught me. Um, but I think like w the pieces of inspiration that I look to, to create my work now are, are different. 
And I think it's it's probably pretty tough for me to tease apart how much he's actually influencing me versus how much I think he's influencing me. So I don't know. And it seems like, from what I've gathered, that the whole experience in Japan, like you were talking about your your um, senpai also influencing you and, and in some ways helping, you know, he refused to talk to you in English, so your Japanese would get better. And, sure. And also, like, sort of explaining, softening maybe what is sometimes harsh coming from the master, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess you're, you know, ineffably your your Japanese experience has shaped who you are today. Um, but what what's interesting, and what I'm what I'm curious about is, are you in touch with Mr. Kimura now? Would he ever come to Mirai? Does he mm. know what you're doing? Does he know how much impact, if we're in a positive way, you're having on so many people? And would he be proud of that? Would he not even care? And if you don't want to answer this online, that's fine too. No, I mean I don't have. He maybe he's listening. I don't have. <laughs> Uh, there are people in Japan listening for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. Like I, you know, I mean, there obviously like, I think people have an interpretation of the master apprentice relationship in the Western world where they're like, well, you finished, you guys must be buddies. And it's like, but that's not the way that that relationship works. Like I have... Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Mr. Kimura and I aren't going and getting beers and trading war stories. Like, You're not, like, driving through town blasting 90s hip-hop? No, 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 unfortunately not. Or fortunately, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like, he's my master. There's a reverence there. He's given me the ability to do what I do. Like, I will always be appreciative for that. Um, you but know, do, do you think I, he'll come visit? No, he won't come visit. And and it, and it And that's okay. Like, I don't need for him to come visit right you right. know uh i mean if he if he chose to cool but i, I think d- and there would be something wrong if you did need him to come visit i think so yeah. yeah i think so i think at least from the perspective when you move in your own direction needing validation means you're still doing it potentially for the wrong reasons for someone else or for someone yeah or, or caring so much about what they think that maybe your own voice isn't being communicated and and you know like there have been moments in my career with Mr. Kimura where when I wasn't looking for validation I got a lot of a val- of validation and there have been a lot of moments where I really needed validation and never got any validation you know and so it's it's <clears throat> my experience in Japan was the perfect yin and yang and I hate to say that because it's so cliche but there was never good without bad and there was never bad without good I don't experience life like that in the United States um so it's a little confusing I don't know what creates that relationship of the good and the bad but um you know everything about my apprenticeship was good and bad all at the same time and 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 it's all led you to where you are today it's led me to where I am today it's given me the given me the resilience that I needed it's given me the um I think you know, having gone through what I went through in Japan, made the Artisan's Cup tolerable. Yeah. And stuff like that. You learned how to suffer. You learned how to suffer. (laughs) You learned how to suffer with a tremendous amount of refusal to quit. So I I had a coach. I played semi-professional Ultimate Frisbee for a long time. And uh, I had a coach, and he would just say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. It's to run as hard as you possibly can all the time. It's really uncomfortable. Yeah. That's what it takes. And, like, that's going to be your constant state. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it seems like you found a nice nice little yeah, little groove right there. I don't think that it's ever stopped for me, honestly, yeah. because, like, 
coming back to the United States, it was like, oh shit, now I have to figure out how to make this yeah, work. You gotta hustle, right? And then no it's one's like, handing I, you I gotta anything. Build this place, yeah. and then it's like I, I gotta, I have to figure out a curriculum for my students. I've I'm not gonna be able to stop traveling unless I figure something else out. Grab your bootstraps. Yep. Yeah, and it's been, it's been beautiful. So that leads me to that's a great segue. What makes you happy? I mean, like, happy happiness to me is such a weird concept. I don't, uh, I don't subscribe to that anymore. I don't think that, I mean, I think you can feel happy. I don't think you're made happy. I don't think you be happy. You just feel happy sometimes, you know? Um, and I, I think like that carrot that's dangled in front of us is so dangerous to think that like we're supposed to be quote unquote be happy because it's shit and it's a lie. You know, it's like, no, man, like things are going to be rough and things are going to go good. And then all of a sudden you're going to crash your car or. Yeah, somebody's going to break into it and steal all your shit. <laughs> like the car alarm's going to go You off? know, and there's no rhyme or reason for that. And and you were happy before that happened. You felt happy. Now you're not happy anymore. You know, like, what happened to being happy? You so a lot of people strive for happiness. A lot of people look for it. And if you're not striving for that in life, what do you strive for? Fulfillment? I, th I, I or think... I, I, purpose? No, I think I... Um, I think that... For me, I want to feel like I did everything I could to accomplish the things that are important to me. I don't want to leave life having felt like I didn't do everything I could. And that, that, that is, has become sort of my driving force is don't leave the tank half full when you have the ability to run it all the way empty. But I would challenge you because you just phrased that in a self-referential way. You said, I'm going to do what I, that car alarm's really annoying. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what I think needs to That's be done That's somebody being less happy. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> but I would argue that like you also have a need to influence other people in a positive way. Uh-huh. And, and does that bring you fulfillment? Does knowing that you're touching 1,200 people on a live stream or does spending time with your son, you know, you, you said like, I'm going to get done what I, my checklist. No, 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 but you, but, but you can't put, you can't put, uh, sort of your made checklist on my checklist. Cause like, uh, that could be being the best father I can possibly mm. be and not, uh, not, not showing up or not, not putting aside my work to go, you know, throw the baseball with my kid and stuff like that, that, that is leaving the tank half full. Got it. Right. And I think like in terms of bonsai, um, you know, with a student, like I get the most satisfaction out of classes when I am just throttled and exhausted after a weekend with my students and every one of them is throttled and exhausted. And we go, that was an amazing weekend. It's just like, like we learned, yeah. we grew, we made, we did something very special this weekend. We emptied the tank. It's like sports. Yeah, absolutely. If you, if you go on the field and you give everything and you still lose, you, know, you can you, accept that. How can you be that angry? You if can you accept did that. Every, and the That's other team right. was better than you and That's beat right. you fair and square. 
so Can't be that angry. <laughs> so I'm recognizing, like, on a daily basis, the idea of happiness was a total fallacy. Uh, and what I'm recognizing is I feel good at the end of the day when I've left, when I've run the tank empty, you know, and it's people talk about burnout and all that. It's something so different than that. It's a knowledge that you seize that moment and every moment in that day to the best of your ability to accomplish the things that are important to you in a way that felt like you really did them justice. When I do that, I don't need to think about happiness or sadness or anything else. So that else. gives you a sense of fulfillment. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I don't need any more than that. Like I can deal with all the work not having gotten done because I did my very best and I did it to the best of my ability. I can deal with, uh, you know, not necessarily having created the greatest tree because I still put all of my effort into creating the tree and that I created. And implicit in that is that you're on the journey. I put in my effort, and maybe I learned from that, and my next effort will be better. Sure, always, and right? And implicit in that is living in the moment. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to empty the tank again. Yeah. And the next day, I'm going to empty the tank again, and I'm going to do that continuously until I can't do it anymore. And that philosophy also trickles down into how you teach bonsai. You don't say, draw a picture, make that picture in six years. You say, every time the tree's in front of you, I'm going to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. What is this tree giving me? What is it giving me right now? And how do I take it the very highest level I can right Right now? now. Not what I planned, not what I think I should do I'm not going to wait till next weekend. When you put your hands on the tree, take it to the highest level now. And it's the same thing, another sports analogy. If if you're on the field, whatever your sport is, let's say it's soccer and you have a little plan, I'm going to go here. What if they don't give you that route? Yeah. What if, take what they give you. If they're giving you this open lane, then you should take sure. that. Basketball, if you're getting this spot, that's where you go. Like, that's it. And the you best don't, basketball players are improv- improvisers. Improvisational basketball. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's the same across. When you watch people do something truly brilliant. Sports, jazz, the, the improv theater, whatever sure. it is. Yeah, I mean, painting. Like, I run out of this color of paint. All of a sudden, I move into a completely monochromatic painting that could break new ground because I was malleable enough to do. I mean, it's just like when you take the quote unquote limitation as the new opportunity, it just shows you a different way to accomplish something you wouldn't have considered had you not had that limitation. Like this is, I mean, this is the way that so many pieces at Mirai have been created. This is the way that so many of the the aesthetics around the exhibitions I've had have been created, not through unlimited opportunity and ability to create but all of the limitations and it's just like oh shit this is what we say on the this film is ama- side this too it's amazing and like the, what's the most crippling thing the blank page the boundless the paradox of choice sure. you go into the grocery store there's 6,000 salad dressings you waste 30, 30 minutes of your life just trying to pick out a salad that's why Trader Joe's is good I'm just saying this is why bonsai is, is um, so beautiful because you take what the tree is giving because you. Because you have limitations. Yeah. Right now, your technique can push the boundaries of those limitations, but you still have limitations. So you're never confronted with a blank page that says create. And that's where there's a collaboration. And that's also where I would say the person is not pulling the majority of the weight. The tree is. If you're doing your job, the tree should be pulling the majority of the weight. That's where the exhibition becomes the art because that's your ability to pull more of the weight and truly communicate with this medium. And I think that is an extremely effective way to use bonsai as a vehicle to, to dialogue and communicate. It also speaks to um, collaboration. Yeah. Like you talk about collaboration with the ceramic artist. Sure. I just bought some pots from this guy, Brian Soldano in Maine. Cool. And 
he's like, and I, I sent him some pictures of the pots with some trees, and then I sent him a picture of that tree at his spot. And he said, I already have an idea for a pot that can nice. go with it. And and the pot is moving up to the right, the tree is moving up into the right, and how does that influence and how does that insinuate a, an ocean side or a field or sure. whatever? But it's the collaboration with the artist, and it's the same. It's the same thing in film. I, I'm, I'm I just finished writing a script, and when you do it by yourself. My analogy is you have a little flower bed and you plant your flowers and you go away and they haven't grown at all. Mm -hmm. And when you do it with a partner, they've put their ideas in. There's flowers, there's bugs, there's little butterflies coming, all this new stuff that then you can sparks your interest to right. put your new ideas in and then it just cascades. And it's the same way when you work with the ceramic artist, totally. when you work with the stand artist, when you all all the people that, that you interact with that influence your art and, and that's why it, it, it irks me when there's when sometimes people put up barriers and ego or whatever it is is creating a barrier between collaboration. Sure. You know, people don't want to share information or, or people want to keep keep theirs in in a way that just it's just going to stagnate their own art. Yeah. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think collaboration is the way to reach new sort of boundaries that you've never been able to push before. Just because when you're working with people who you respect and whose ideas and manner and method of working you can kind of flow with and stay in that then it does truly it's like it's like walking up a set of stairs like one stair leads to the next to the next pretty soon you're at the top of this you didn't know you're going that high right and so it's like uh but being able to collaborate means sacrificing control if you're truly collaborating you're sacrificing total control not a lot of people can do that you know and and the product might not be what you want but what if it's something that you never thought of that leads you to something else? Even in a collaboration that leads to potentially an inferior product, I guarantee you there's an idea in that that might lead to that next piece that's even better. And you have to be open to that. you got to be open to it. Yeah. You, that is a risk of collaboration, but that is the reward of the risk. And risk it's and not, reward. It's not even – I don't even think of it as a risk. I, for me, whenever – it can only enrich. It can, uh, the yeah. risk you're running is that you get, the, you get stuck in a box with your own mind. Yep. And you yeah. don't have any any space to expand. There's another great example. A girl I went to I went to Middlebury College, um, and a woman there uh, just created well 13 years ago she created a, a show that just won eight Tony or uh, no eight Broadway awards. Is that Tony's? Is that I don't Tony's? know. Talking about. I might be dude. screwing that up. She won eight awards in her, and she worked for 13 years on this thing in Vermont and workshopping it here, and finally it hit Broadway, and now she's won all these awards. And um, what she said is, she said three things. She said it takes a long time. You can't do it alone, and it's worth it. Hmm. And I always think of that too as a journey. It's like it takes a long time. Yeah. You got to do the work over a long period of time to get to, to get to find to get to that place. Yeah. Be prolific and just hammer away. And I respect you because I can see that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, I I, uh, I think collaborate wisely is also yeah, yeah pertinent like that. That's uh, and you got to have a vibe, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what we were talking about before. Surround your people. Have synergy. Surround yourself with people who are going to prop you up. Yeah. And who are going to support and who share your idea. The, the film metaphor is you have a joke. If I don't think it's funny, we shouldn't be working together. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> right. Like, the humor is, is very subjective. Yeah. And I've worked with people that I totally don't understand their humor and they don't understand mine. And then, and then now my writing partner and I just every time we're totally on the same page. Uh -huh. And it just becomes this great synergy huh. that she and I have that's just, it, it's, it's just, it makes the work so much easier and so much more enjoyable. Very cool. Um, two last questions. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to ask me as an outsider? And now maybe a little bit more of an insider. Although I don't know when I'll get to Mariah. I'll do it. I just don't know when. We might both not, be old. It's not going anywhere. All right, good. So, this, you know. There's big it, rocks up it, there that aren't going to themselves. It, it only gets better. <laughs> it only, you know, marinates with age. Um, 
I mean, I think I would ask you like, what could I improve on to enhance your ability to learn bonsai? You know, like what, what aren't you getting that you would like to have that, that is important to me. I think the one thing I come back to, uh, is, um, variety of, of, of diversity of viewpoints. So some of my, uh, some of the, the, the best streams I thought were where you brought in Peter Warren or Juan or whoever. And I know you're working to bring a lot more, more people in, but just seeing other perspectives is great because you can learn from a lot of different people and it's your job to just in the same way that if you're getting criticism, like let's say you're, you know, you're getting feedback on something you've written. It's your job to take all these different feedbacks and be like, okay, that's vibing with me. I could take that gold nugget, put it in my, you know, to bring back the metaphor, put it in my little sack. And some of the things that Juan said are great. Some of the things that Peter said are great. Peter had these little tiny clippers that were like $12, found them on Amazon. They're 12 bucks. They're great. You know, just little things like that and seeing how other people are, are, who are also at, at, at the same high level are doing it because, you know, you have this great uh, set of, of raw skills and like, this is how we can do this thing of crafting bonsai. But also you're just Ryan. Yep. You don't have the perspective of Peter's life or yeah, Juan's totally. life or whatever. Totally. And so that community aspect is great. And I'm sure it's hard to get people, maybe not hard, but like it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to have someone come to Mariah and do a stream and whatever. Um, but but the, the variety of viewpoints, like you're one of these mavens, you can bring those people in and share, and I think that really, really enriches hmm. your product. Very cool. Thank you for that. And I only have one more question. Well, I might have more questions okay, for you. Okay, right. Oh, sorry. Um, what's the most challenging thing that you have found in your boneside journey thus far? Two things come to mind. Mm-hmm. Watering is extremely challenging. Yeah. I mean, just monster, like straight right? up. Yeah. Just straight up, it... it, it like just this spring it was cool so i think i overwatered a lot of things because i'm getting some fungus i'm getting some brown leaf tips on the trident mm-hmm. all that stuff so just really being able to pay attention to that and i think we didn't touch on this but i had this question too is like is bonsai uh, uh, an art form for privileged or affluent or 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 not privileged but people with resources mm-hmm. i work from home so i can water twice a day if it's mm-hmm. 104 three times a day if I need to, sure. and I can be checking the soil. But like a lot of people have nine to fives, a lot of people don't. Yeah. A lot of people can't spend $200 on a tree, let alone $2,000 on a tree. A lot of people can't you know, bring in a professional to work on the trees. So there is that, how do you justify the cost? And then there's this huge time commitment. And, and it's, like, it's, it's like a pet. It's, you, you have to give your dog food. You, you have to take it out for yeah. a walk. And, um, and just, just having a life that you can structure in order to do that. Um, is has always interested me. Mm-hmm. You know, like th- it doesn't seem like some people who are struggling to pay the rent don't have room to do this art. Probably not going to be doing bonsai. Yeah. yeah, but and but maybe they don't have room to do sculpture or painting either, or or go to you know I don't know, and 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 I don't know if that's a if if there is a divide there between the haves and the have-nots in terms of, of accessibility to art, and maybe that's a whole other conversation. It probably is. Yeah, but, yeah. I I would I would like to think about that before I answer it, but yeah, I don't I, know if it's a question. I would. I would do it, yeah. But watering is really hard. And then the hardest thing has been, what do I do? What do I do? Mm-hmm. I want a hemlock that I can put an eagle on. Guess what? You can't have a hemlock in L.A. It's true. Sorry, bro. Uh-huh. Didn't know that. I would have bought a hemlock and brought it to L.A. and killed it, right? Sure. And, you know, don't pinch junipers. Uh-huh. Didn't know that. Sure. You know, and all this stuff. And so finding people and, and, ha- and being able to search out 
and doing it on a budget because uh-huh. I'm not an affluent person with just yeah. money to throw it. That this is a hobby. It has it has to stay a hobby, you know. And like so that what what solution? Well, part of the solution has been Mariah for thirty sure. bucks a month. I can sure. I can learn everything I need to know or most of it. Sure. Um, yeah, it's still not. There's still something missing. I don't know what it is. There's some. There's. I mean, there's like a lot of. There's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of technique. There's a lot of. But I. I'm still finding video to be limited in terms of truly connecting some of the dots, and I and I can't. I feel a resistance there that exists, that I know that exists, that's impeding the next step for a lot of people. And That I've, might be inherent to the medium because what I saw you do today with people was standing next to them, correct them on an individual basis. Yeah. And you are sort of giving people a buffet and they have to take what they can for sure. Them. It doesn't mean that they're not getting those golden nuggets. It just means you're not there to, to, yeah. to you know, to drive them home. And I think that's where the rep, the, the availability to rewatch the streams is one of the most valuable things. When you, in one of the pine streams, you said, come back to this, come back to this, come back to this. In my apprenticeship, he told me things in year one, didn't even sink in until year five because yeah. I needed to learn all this other stuff and hear it 10 times and see it in action. Yeah. So it is that process of, of, of hearing you speak about it. Like, I'm just getting into pines, right? I heard you speak about pines, mm-hmm. got some pines. Now I'm seeing what you were talking about. Now I'm making more connections. Right. Gotta go back, rewatch the streams, make some more connections, yeah. you know? Watch you work on them. I, you know, hear hear the information over and over. It starts to sink in, but it's coupled with the practice, and I think that's that's all, that's the value. But I mean, like putting video, you can't put video, you can't put your streams next to a book or a magazine or or an audio description of how to do this. It's so far elevated above that stuff. Yeah. And I know you want that last ten percent, two percent, whatever. Well, it is. I I think what's frustrating is I know how to get it. It it's just it's the next step. Yeah. It's the next step. You know, I think, like, people will probably have the impression, like, at some point, like, he's, we're going to run out of things to talk about. Never. Well, that's never going to happen, number one. And, and Mariah Live isn't the end goal, number two. And that's what people will become rapidly aware of. But not for today. No, not for today. Very good. When it comes out, it'll matter at that point, you know. This is great. And this is, again... This is the gift that we get from whatever sacrifices you make <laughs> to live, com- breathe. Com- compulsively thinking about just it. Just bleed bone sack. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, like, yeah, sure. people who are spread among different things don't ever get that deep into any one thing. Sure. It's just the way it is. And yeah, there's sacrifices to be made, and I'm sure, you know, life's not perfect for any of us, but that's the gift that you're giving us. Mm. You're, you're, you're giving us that because we don't, I mean, from my perspective, I don't have that much time to think about this one thing. I mean, it's great because, um, you know, the Bonsai Mariah community and the Mariah Live community has given us the gift to be able to, to do, do this too. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very symbiotic, uh, community and I appreciate, uh, you know, your support very much. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Thanks to the whole community. Like, thank you guys very much. Cause it allows me to continue to literally live my dream every day. Couldn't Amen. ask for anything more. Amen to that. Yeah. So my last question, I have a three-year-old. He's almost, he's going to be three August in August. Yeah. You have a five-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah. What parenting advice do you have for me as I go through the next two and a half years of a little boy's life? What parenting advice do I have for you? Man. (sighs) 
Way to stump me on the last one. <laughs> I don't... So here's... Let me, just, let me just preface this, okay? I don't know if I'm a good parent or not. I do my very best. Like, I love, I love my kid unconditionally more than anything in the world. I really do. Which is interesting because I didn't know what it was like to love somebody that much. Nope. Right? But... <clears throat> The one thing that I recognize where it's hard and I see how parents parent now is watching your kid fail and watching your kids struggle is super gnarly. The older they get, when they have friends and they have, mm. you know, failures and like this, this, this nerfed world that we live in. Uh, and I get it. I get why we nerf the edges because it sucks to watch your kids suffer. But damn it, let that kid fail, you know? Um, that has been, I think, very instrumental in, in sort of at least these first few years where my kid is cognizant of what he's dealing with. It's just like he doesn't always win. And, and I've seen a change in his behavior for the better that I feel like, oh, okay, wow, that's, I, I see how this can go both ways. That's a big one. And I, I, I guess for me, like I'm speaking to the, like to me more than to you giving you parenting advice. Cause I don't know if I'm any good, but, um, uh, I just try to not miss every moment that, you know, he's going to come to a point where he's not going to be asking me to be a part of his life. So when he's asking me right now to be a part of his life, I try to take advantage of every single time he asks. You know, and that's tough because it's like this juxtaposition of like, you can't just uh, meet your kids every moment and every request. And it doesn't look like that. But you know the difference between your kid being like, I can't brush my teeth. And it's like, yeah, no, you definitely can. You definitely can. You got this. I'm going to let you go ahead and do that while, you know, while I make dinner. Um, but when he's like, Hey dad, can you, can we sit down and watch a movie together? And it's just like, yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. No matter what is going on, we absolutely can do that. Dad, can we go throw the baseball? Absolutely. Let's go ahead and put aside that bonsai tree for the moment, you know? And like, that's made a big, that's made a, uh, a huge difference. Well, and I think we all doubt ourselves as parents first yeah, of all. Well, from the second that they say you need to leave the hospital and you get home and you're like oh my god they let us leave the hospital with this we have no idea what we're doing yeah and every parent ever goes through that especially on their yeah, first right. one right and lot you know by their third and fourth maybe they're like yeah we're going back here we go just put the kid there whatever we're done right. but everyone doubts themselves and my, my, my wife being a therapist she constantly sees people who are just it's easy sometimes to like criticize people when you don't think they're doing a good job or whatever. And, and my wife always comes home from work having seen people. And, and the, one of the overarching concepts is everyone's just doing their best. Doing their best. With what they've got, with sure. their situation, with their moment. And so, like, as parents, that's, that's all we get to do. Yeah. You know? Do you have any advice for me, having a therapist for a wife? <laughs> <laughs> um, if you need therapy, get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, therapy's uh, very transformative and healing for a lot of people. Man, Just, I'm uh, I'm very uh, very transparent about the fact that I find a lot of value in it. Yeah, you it's know, like just to have a dedicated place to like yeah. look inward and have someone to talk to who's not involved or 
it's you know subjective. It's just an objective person person there. Yeah. Dude, I think uh, I think self self improvement, self awareness, and like taking care of your mind is every bit as important as your body and all of the other stuff that we tend to tend to ruminate on. And it's like it it has the greatest stigma around it. But man, it it, it certainly shouldn't. I think that's changing. It shouldn't. It, it is. I hope it's changing. And it's culturally, you know, it depends on where you come from and your background yeah. and families and whatever. But yeah, um, the other thing I would say about parenting is taking my kid into the wilderness has just I, I like you watch them like blossom like a flower. Oh, interesting. You know, like he, we take him on backpacking trips. He sleeps in a tent. He, he finds joy in the pine cone. Like he reminds you know certain you know. People like us, I don't think we've lost that joy about trees. Like, right. I still find joy in every needle and every yeah. pine cone, every leaf, and, like, every twist and whatever. But watching the kid discover it is is just magic. Yeah. And I see a lot, you know, a lot of people, especially living in L.A., it's a city. The kid is just in the city. And, and, and there's, especially now, there's a lot of, in Los Angeles, there's a lot of uh, wildland right there. You know, it's not like Manhattan where it's kind of hard to find a green space sometimes. Right. You have to drive quite a distance to get into the Adirondacks or whatever, it's right there. It's 30 minutes away, the Angeles National Forest, and to just go on a hike with him. And when, even when he was little, I would just take him to, the, to a stream, Switzer Falls, which is 35 minutes away at like 6,500 feet or whatever, and just sit by the river and watch him just like discover how water flows over rocks and like float a leaf down it and throw yeah. sticks into it. You know, it's just like it's, it, that kind of exposing him to nature has been really powerful for me. But other than that, just doing our best, like trying to spend the time with yeah. them and Making sure it doesn't turn into an asshole. That's about it. Right? <laughs> right? God, that would be a bummer. But I think I think just being aware of that, I'm hoping. Also, that. you can't control it. At a certain point, I'm sure they just become their own person. And it's like, all right, I did, again, we just did our best. <laughs> We're all just doing our best. Yeah. Hey, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks it for talking. Really, yeah, it was really uh, enjoyable just to sit down and rap. It was fun. Yeah, very much appreciate it.